0: Right. Hello everybody. Thank hey Jacqueline. Tyler Ellison.
1: Hey there Welcome. Alan good to see you again. Hey there Sheila.
0: And you met um have you met Jacqueline? Oh I guess she was there. Anyway. <laughs> Hi
2: there we go. Hey there <laughs> Jacqueline. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah yeah likewise. Thank you. Yeah Super. are you all having a good time?
0: Yes, we are. It's very deep and transformational, isn't it, Sheila?
2: Oh, it's amazing. And I cannot wait to hear what you have to share with us. Because even though I did get to go back and listen uh, to the replay, I missed your live presentation when you came on to Cosmic Conversations. So I'm stoked.
1: Oh, perfect. That'll be great. Yeah, I think Today, what we can do is a mix of channeling, but also dialoguing as myself, because I had picked a a topic I really wanted to touch on, which is the idea of how ancient traditions like ceremonial high magic and astrotheurgy are essentially designed to assist people in making ET contact and how essentially ancient peoples are really doing the same things modern folks are doing in relationship to merging with what we call star people, to elevate consciousness. So I want to talk about some of the parallels of that. And um, some of the interesting things I have observed in my own experience playing around sort of with new age systems, which I think is how everybody kind of wakes up with new age things these days. And then how my perspectives have changed since utilizing some of these more ancient practices and techniques. So I think we'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about.
0: That sounds great. And the channeling, are you going to channel Rioke? Ryo. Yeah, yeah, so Ryo.
1: we changed the name. We did change the name, so it's Ryo, R-Y-O. Yeah. Ryo, did he Ryo. change the name or did you he
0: change changed.
1: it? was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of both. I kind of felt it coming, and then he was like, we're going to change the name, because he had described it as, in terms of linguistics, the K represents a very masculine type of cutting sound. Mm-hmm. So when I first started channeling him, because there were a lot of processes of purification that I was still going through, that K, cu- cutting energy, was really needed. Um, but once enough of that had taken place, that type of energy no longer was really as necessary. So we dropped the K for the O, which is all about expansion, opening and sort of birthing new realities. And I, every time I say new realities, I, uh, there's somebody with a cymbal and a drum or something, you know, in the back of my head. <laughs>
0: but you know did that when you change the name did that shift the level of the message coming through
1: yeah yeah so i found it made the energy more feminine like it softened the channeling delivery up a lot
3: beautiful
0: beautiful yeah which
3: yeah really nice
0: well i'm really excited because i think the ancient systems of magic whatever you want to call those old manifestations were keys to what we're really discovering now so yeah yeah do you have a PowerPoint or are you just going to? I don't. You know? I was
1: just going to, I was just going to wing it. I'm not the best with PowerPoints. Um,
0: That's
1: okay. <laughs> yeah. So no, go, I find I do better it, just speaking.
0: It yeah. is all your stage. You're going to talk for, you're going to have questions and answers. You want to talk for what? 45 minutes or. Yeah. Well, you
1: know? if I'm not mistaken, it was, Um, we have, cause you're New York time as well. So I think we have oh. from, what was it? 2.45. Oh, the email I got, oh, said 2.45.
0: Oh, 245. Okay. Yeah,
1: 245, 245 to uh to 345. So I can Great. go for that full hour. That's totally okay.
0: That's perfect. And maybe some me or Sheila or some people will interject if we have questions, right, Sheila? Mm-hmm.
2: Wait. Right. So he's given that full hour and Great. then we'll do some QA after. Great. Okay.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Okay, Tyler. I'm so happy you're here. And yeah. meeting fantastic community of beings that are really open to everything you have to say. So go ahead. It's all yours. The stage is yours.
1: Okay, perfect. So yeah, we'll get started. So we got uh, 25 folks here, including our uh, panelists. So everybody, thanks so much for being here. It's great to uh, have your attention and to be able to share some of these ideas. So one of the things, actually, we a special shirt for this, but one of the things I've been getting really into is what is known as astrotheurgy, which is essentially the study of the stars and utilizing the stars to acquire manifestational powers to essentially activate one's destiny and to activate one's free will. So we're all familiar with the astrology chart, right? Everybody here, I'm sure, has seen their astrology chart. And the ancients looked at the astrology chart as a representation of someone's fate. And what that means is if a person is doing no spiritual practice, no spiritual evolution, what you see on that astrology chart will pretty much determine what happens to them. It's almost like they're a wind-up toy. And the person directing that wind-up toy would be one of the planets or one of the fixed stars or one of the uh, signs of the zodiac. So the point of spiritual training, the point of astrotheurgy is to begin to awaken and to develop the soul. So the idea would be the soul in most people is sort of this underdeveloped quality or level of intelligence, but through spiritual training, spiritual practice, and through taking in what you might call prana or chi or melam, you begin to nourish the soul and grow it. And as your soul grows, you acquire true free will. You acquire sovereignty, which enables you to not be bound to these outer forces, what you might call a zodiac sign, a planet, a fixed star, so on and so forth. And through learning the secret names of these celestial bodies and through learning of the gods or goddesses that represent them, you can actually control them. And the idea is you can get them to work for you. So instead of Mars, for example, making you more aggressive or making you um, perhaps uh, overly sexual or making you um, overly defensive, once you have conscious control over Mars, you can use its powers to summon, let's just say, protection if you have to go into a bad part of town, to summon, let's say, physical or mental energy or stamina if you have to perform all day. Right. These different powers, these different forces of nature become tools that you can acquire and that will listen to you. So it's quite exciting. And I started getting into uh, some of the systems that the Golden Dawn really brought to the table. Uh, So these are like pentagram rituals, hexagram rituals. Uh, My mentor, uh, he was really big into these things. So he used these rituals to help him in a very uh, challenging life or death situation and when i heard his story that's what got me to want to explore these things so i started trying them out and sure enough they work you know you can summon pretty much whatever you need now some manifestations will take more energy more time doing these rituals some they don't need as much energy so the ritual might just be a one and done these techniques, these pentagram rituals, hexagram rituals are said to be gifts. So some people, especially academics who look at this stuff, will look at this material and they will say, this is a system that was developed over time by people. And as different nations and cultures traded, these magical esoteric systems grew and developed. And There's elements of truth to that, but it's also not the complete story. These systems, these tools, this esoteric knowledge that we see across all cultures is said to have been given to humanity by beings that in Western hermeticism are called the secret chiefs. The secret chiefs are pretty much what people in the new age would call ETs, So the secret chiefs are seen as beings that exist on a higher dimensional level. They can appear in our realm if they need to. They can appear in our realm as a human. They can appear in our realm in whatever form they want because they are not bound to form at all. The idea is Because the systems they have given us work, you can use them to create your reality. This implies that the systems that the secret chiefs use themselves are systems that are able to co-create reality on a massive level. So these extra-dimensional, extraterrestrial beings have been given all types of names. Um, Zachariah Sitchin pretty much said that these beings were the Anunnaki. And he said that these beings were the beings that uh, created humanity essentially to make a slave gold mining race. I don't agree with that. Zacharias Sitchin's interpretation is kind of like someone reading the, the Bible and is saying, oh, yeah, there was definitely actually a talking snake. There was definitely a sea that Moses parted with magical powers, and there was definitely an ark that survived a worldwide flood. Right so what Zachariah Sitchin is doing is he's reading Sumerian tablets in a literal way, so ancient people knew that their message would not survive because they spoke a totally different language. So they coded messages in their pictures and these uh, pictures are designed to convey symbolic meaning to us about the magical practices esoteric understandings that those civilizations had so. A really interesting picture I have seen, and it's oftentimes um, written off as a Sumerian picture, but it's not. It, I believe, is an Assyrian picture, Uh, but you can see a tree of life, very similar to the Kabbalistic tree of life, and you can see uh, standing to the left and the right of the tree of life, these different Assyrian deities, right? They have wings, some of them have bird heads, and people will often say, oh, these are the Anunnaki, and this Thing that they are standing in front of this tree of life is human DNA, and this is evidence that the Anunnaki have created DNA. Well, the first thing to remember is the Anunnaki are a Sumerian thing. These pictures people oftentimes are citing are not Sumerian pictures, right? They're Assyrian pictures. This tree of life that you're seeing is the entirety of the physical universe. So when you're looking at the Kabbalistic tree of life, when you're looking at the Assyrian tree of life, when you're looking at the Sumerian tree of life, you are not necessarily looking at DNA. DNA is a part of that. But what you're looking at is a map of the universe. These beings are outside of that. They are not bound to that. And they're tending to that tree of life, to that representation of the universe. In these pictures, you can see in one hand, the being is holding a pine cone. In another hand, he's holding a bucket. And people oftentimes ask, well, what does this mean? The bucket is filled with holy water and it represents the yoni. The pine cone he's holding represents the phallus. And the idea is when you unite these two things, you create fertility. And The idea is that these beings would take the pine cone, right, as a religious act or a, um, you could say, ceremonial action. They would take the pine cone, dip it in this bucket of holy water, and then they would sprinkle it onto a person to bless them. In these Assyrian pictures, you can see that there are beings doing this to the tree of life itself, meaning that there are beings outside of the physical universe that are utilizing energy, magical technique, to specifically bless, uplift, and empower the multitudes of beings that exist within the physical universe. So the reason I'm bringing all of this up is we are in a really interesting time. To me, it's sort of like a renaissance where there's all types of information that people have access to we have information coming from left and right, some of it is really interesting really useful, some of it maybe not so much, but the idea is because of the Internet, we have access to so much insight so much information so many interesting channel practices, and so many interesting ancient practices that can essentially be used to summon heaven on earth. So. The more you do these, let's just say, astro-theurgic practices, these uh, ceremonial, magical practices, the more you become like an angel, the more you become like a god, or the more you become, like a new ager might say, an ET, an extra-dimensional being. These practices are designed to transform you into that. They are designed to shift and augment your consciousness, so you can begin to create as a spirit, as an extra-dimensional, while you are in physical form. The idea is that these practices were, in ancient times, reserved for royalty. These were practices reserved for kings. And right now, you can look at top-level governmental groups, and there's people doing not identical rituals, but similar things, because rituals work. Rituals are powerful. This is why people have kept them. So now we're at an interesting point in time where these things are no longer secret. Everybody has access to them. And it is my belief that if these practices can help you to create your own heaven on earth, then with enough people doing these things, we could summon heaven on earth. Not only that, we could summon extraterrestrial contact. We could essentially summon free energy machines. We could summon whatever we want. I very much buy into this idea because I've seen these techniques and these beings and these energies work miracles. I've seen crazy, amazing stuff happen. So I've begun teaching many of these systems. It's one of the services that I offer. Uh, These things were given to me by my mentor and it just keeps getting passed along, right? And they're very, very effective. Um, but I don't want to harp too much on this because I actually have another point that I want to get across. At this point, it might be a little bit controversial, but I feel it's a, a worthy thing to talk about because I think it helps people to clarify a little bit more about what ET contact actually is and what ET channeling actually is, right? Because I see these things as being very much connected, but I also see them as being something that is different. So I had brought up Zachariah Sitchin earlier, and this is the guy, this is the first guy who was like the Anunnaki came here, changed our DNA, made us into gold mining slaves, and then left. And that's why we're always looking up to the sky for God, right? That's his idea, more or less. So Zachariah Sitchin has taken information, and I don't mean to I'm not trashing Zachariah Sitchin, you know, he he did some interesting stuff. I'm just talking about a very commonly held point of view that people have when they look deeply at the work, right? It's not a a deep translation. But like I had said, that point of view is the same as someone reading a a Bible or a holy book and translating that completely literally, right? You would look at them like, are you crazy? Well, that's what this guy did with these Sumerian tablets, I feel that that's what's happening in the channeling community. And what I mean by that is when someone is channeling something, I see that as a bible. I see that as a sumerian tablet where there is multidimensional meaning. There are layers of meaning and many people because they're taught only to think literally they're not taught to think multidimensionally or symbolically they will take everything that channeled entity says and they think it's a real literal objective thing is the same as someone reading the bible and thinking moses parting the seas is a real literal objective thing and i think that this limits people's ability to actually extract multidimensional information from the channeling and i also think it turns the channeling into dogma and religion for example You can get two really high-developed channels, and I can give examples of this, that many people love and respect, saying two completely different things, right? They're saying things that technically contradict one another. Um, I see this mainly in ET channelings, oftentimes when ET beings are like, we're going to tell you about the Greys, or we're going to tell you about the Octurians, or we're going to tell you about the Pleiadians. If you look at the different ET sources and their takes on these beings, they're super different completely different, sometimes incompatibly different. And you're like, well, does that mean one's right, one's wrong? You could take that approach. That's a valid approach. That's not the approach I would take. What I would say is they are channeling symbols. They're channeling symbol sets to help you conceptualize something that's super challenging to talk about in words. It's sort of like a a two-dimensional being trying to describe a three-dimensional being that they can't even see directly, right? In order to even see ETs, most of us have to be in an altered state. That should tell you something, right? They're on a completely different level than we are. So whenever people are channeling information about ETs, I feel personally, it's super important to not always take it literally, but to see it as a revealer. It's designed to get us to think. It's like they're giving us a living myth. And every myth, as you know, is symbolic. There are dimensions of that myth that you have to interpret. And once you've interpreted the meaning of the myth, now you know how to apply that meaning to your life and it evolves you. So any message that a good channel entity gives you is a message of evolution. This is a message that is designed to propel you forward. It's not designed to be a dogma. It's not designed to be an objective narrative where they're just like, this is just the way it is. There's no other interpretation. It's not meant to be that. And Any channeled entity or being that claims that is the same as a preacher, right, on a podium saying, this is the only way, right? It's the same thing. And I think that a lot of people, especially in the New Age movement, come from Christian backgrounds, right? They were brought up in an Abrahamic tradition. Therefore, there's a certain level of conditioning that many people have that are drawn to the New Age movement, right? It's like, oh, you don't wanna get on the wrong timeline, right, and then you you, you go to hell, essentially. You wanna get on the right timeline, go to the new earth, right? That's heaven, right? It's the same thing. For some people, it's even, You know, it's not that Jesus is coming to save us, the ETs are coming to save us. Oh, they're going to come, sky people are going to make it all better, right? It's the same thing, really, just a different language. So I encourage everyone attending to think openly about these things rather than I would say literally about these things. I like to see channeled messages as allegorical teachings. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no ETs. This doesn't mean that all channeled information doesn't have direct literal relevance. A lot of it does, especially the stuff I channel. The being, Ryo, will give you literal information. For example, a lot of people ask him, um, you could say, well, being related questions or wellness questions. He gives people literal information on what to do. He's not speaking in metaphors there, right? Um, Someone might be asking, well, what do I do about this challenging situation? How do I move forward in this area of my life? He will give literal information. He's not going to speak to you, you know, in a big metaphor or in a myth, right? But then someone might say, well, what can you tell me about the Orion people, right? Well, that's going to be something that will have literal dimensions to it that's going to be something that will also have metaphorical allegorical dimensions to it Uh, that's going to be something that has astral dimensions to it in terms of describing it in a visual sense and the astral realm in that way is the same realm as our imagination it's the same realm as our dream world so as you can see once you start to ask about things that are more abstract, right, that are more of the upper worlds or even of the lower worlds, metaphors are needed because we don't have anything around us that will literally represent what those worlds are like. So therefore, if we don't have anything literal around us that can represent those worlds, it means we don't have language for those worlds. If you don't have language for something, you need a metaphor, you need an allegory, you need symbol sets, to talk about it. And I'm just bringing this up because I have seen in channeling communities it's so strange to me because it's supposed to be a spiritual community divisions, right? I have seen divisions over, well, this channel says this, that channel says that, oh, your channel's actually serving the new world order. Oh, your channel's actually like a demon. Like I, I have seen this online commonly. And I just sit there and I say to myself, I think people are missing the point. The point of this information is to help you to feel empowered, so you can have clarity, contextualizing your life, the meaning of your life, and the steps you need to take to fulfill your purpose. Right. That's the point of channeling. And really, the main thing I want to drive home with this is that's how you can discern channeled information. Because some people will say this information is really great, but you know, how do I know? If it's good, how do I know if it's serving me? How do I know if it's useful? Well, the first thing I would say is test the information out. Apply it in your life, really wear it, dive into it. Sort of give yourself to it, do it for like a week and just see if things change. See if you get results, test what you're given. Don't just take it at face value, test the information out. If you find that the information is uplifting, If you find that it is useful, if you find that it's helping you to answer your own questions and it's helping you to ask even bigger questions, then you could say the information the channeled entity is giving is incredibly evolutionary. And that's how you can tell it's useful. That's how you can tell it's good. So these are some of the major things that I wanted to really express before we go deeper into these topics, because there's a lot we can share. And we'll also bring Ryo through and we can take some questions if you all want to talk to him, get his take on this or get his take on other things. Now, before we go any deeper, before I shift gears, I do want to take a moment to see if any of the other panelists or hosts have any questions. And if not, we can go deeper into these ideas.
0: It sounds pretty good, but let's see, is there a question in the, um, did I see a question there in the chat? Um, No, is there a question, anything? No, I don't see any questions, but I do like what you're saying about the world. Actually, everything is a symbol, everything. Even you speaking there to me and to us, is only a projection of my own symbolic understanding of reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But there is a but there is also a world out there that is always, and I'll talk about that in my lecture, is always infusing us with, let's say, the unknown as well. Right? So we're
3: sure. Yeah.
0: So, um, so yeah, keep going. I'm I'm really fascinated by everything you're saying. So thank you.
1: Oh, you're very welcome and just to just to play off of that because that's a great thing to to focus on it's there there is higher worlds there are higher worlds there are beings that occupy these worlds right and in order to talk about them we need the symbol sets because otherwise we don't really have a way of articulating the higher level experiences that are a part of the world so a symbol set it's it's not a bad thing a symbol set and using symbol sets uh doesn't mean that the thing you're describing is unreal it's just a convenient and easy way to talk about those higher dimensional realities rather than trying to use basic human terms and words to describe them right because we live in a world that is mostly physical right without the human imagination this world could be potentially mundane right? It's our imagination that gives this world so much life. So without using the imagination, which speaks in symbol sets, we're sort of limited to the language of the physical reality, which is a sort of mundane language. Therefore, it's not the best to talk about those higher dimensional things with a mundane language that doesn't have much relevance. So the metaphors, the symbol sets are needed.
0: So, Right. I appreciate that perspective. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. So one of the other emphasis, uh, emphasized points I'd like to make is this notion of secret chiefs. So I used that term earlier. Secret chiefs are what people in Western magic or Western hermeticism would describe as what I had said before, these higher dimensional beings that are outside of the physical reality. In a certain way, you could say they're almost outside of the physical universe. And it is their thoughts their movements, their energies that sort of determine what happens within the physical universe. And the ancients would see these beings and of course would call them gods. Because what else are you going to call a being like that that thinks something and then the entire universe changes, right? That's a god. That's the best word we have for them. So these beings are not limited by time, by space. It's not that they're deathless or ageless, right? They have creational points they have beginnings and ends because they exist within creation as creators right but they are not the ultimate source of creation so one sec we just have a mic on um okay i think it's off sorry um so these are other gods essentially right these secret chiefs um are other gods that exist. And their job, their responsibility, their role is to help maintain the physical universe and to help the beings within this physical universe evolve in a beneficial way. And now this gets into something really interesting. And Ryo has talked about this. We have uh, done transmissions where he has described earth as a garden for growing gods. And this sort of brings me back to one of my original points that I was making. The human soul, for example, is something that is developed, it's nurtured, and it grows with spiritual sustenance, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual experiences because those things radiate chi, they radiate prana, they radiate melam. And when we accumulate that in our aura, in our chakras, this grows and develops the soul. When the soul becomes energetically powerful, when it becomes fully awakened, the soul. Develops the capability of transcending not only death, but transcending the wheel of samskara, the wheel of incarnation. Right. So in Taoism, this is something I also train and practice. There's a commonly held belief, but it's also present in the Western systems, it's present pretty much in all systems that the reason a soul takes on a body is because once the soul leaves its body, right, the body dies, the soul leaves, the soul only has so much energy right? It's in the body because that allows for the soul to stabilize its energy and accumulate energy throughout the lifetime. But if this body dies, it's like you've taken water out of a vase and you've poured the water out. Eventually, that water that you poured out will evaporate. So a soul only has so much energy once it is in the spirit realm. It can gather more energy, but if it does not have a sophisticated energy body, it is unable to hold that energy. So the soul will do what it can do once it has moved into the higher dimensional planes after the physical lifetime. From here, the soul starts to visit loved ones. It starts to take care of unfinished business. But once it reaches a certain level of energy, the soul will then go through what the Buddhists call the bardo, right? And the bardo is more or less where you begin to experience what you might call heaven or hell right and oftentimes it's a blend of both right pleasing experiences maybe experiences that aren't so great and it's not that there's some cosmic being you know punishing that soul these experiences of heaven and hell these are experiences that are reflecting the energy the soul is holding on to right because the soul like i said it accumulates energy while it's in the body so the human life is full of positive and negative things so that imprints on the soul So the soul's afterlife experience will oftentimes have a blending of these things. Now, if there's enough of the positive energy, this can seem to completely overwhelm the negative and the experience is pretty much bliss. It's pretty much total goodness, right? If there's a whole bunch of negative energy and not so much positive, that afterlife experience might be more hellish, might not be great. And of course there can always be a blend of both, right? And that's the case with most people, right? Every human is half angel, half demon. I mean, It's uh, one of the greatest hermetic truths. So once the soul has gone through that temporary, you could say bardo, the soul is then in a position where it's able to sort of choose its lifetime. Now, this is something I hear in new age traditions a lot, that we have chosen our lifetimes. It implies that every choice we make is conscious. And I completely disagree with that. There are so many choices That we are making all the time, but most of them are on a subconscious level. You don't even know you have made them. For example, right now while I'm talking, most of my conscious mind is projecting into what I'm saying. My subconscious mind, and I'm not really aware of it, it's choosing what I'm going to talk about. So even in this conscious choice of me opening my mouth and talking to you all there are thousands of unconscious choices my nervous system is making. And thank God I don't have to be aware of all of them. <laughs> I wouldn't I would never open my mouth. I'd be too busy thinking. So when when we say we choose our lifetimes, we choose these experiences. Some of that choosing is conscious, some of that choosing is unconscious. And that's the mechanism behind how we're picking incarnations. So if, for example, a soul is not incredibly evolved, right, let's say they didn't spend their physical lifetime accumulating this energy evolving themselves, they are going to be even on that soul level less conscious. Therefore, they have, let's just say, less autonomy over what their next physical lifetime will be. Most of that decision making, they still chosen, They've still performed, they've still created, but they've given rise to that decision-making process from an unconscious level. So it's still chosen, but it's not like they consciously chose it. Now, if a soul is more evolved, if it is more advanced, if it's more sophisticated, has a higher level of consciousness, therefore there's more dimensions of itself it's aware of. This is a being that's able to very specifically create what happens in its next lifetime right? So as you can see, with each lifetime, as a soul gets more and more evolved, it gets more creative autonomy over what happens when it's born. In other words, Earth is training souls to become master level creator gods and goddesses. That's what we are becoming while we're here. Eventually, this soul becomes so sophisticated, its energy body becomes so developed, it can look at that bardo and say i don't need to go even through that bardo that's a choice i don't need to go into a body again that's a choice i can do whatever i want and if the soul has enough energy and a strong enough energy body that's the case so in ceremonial magic we talk about this as the body of light in Taoist magic we talk about this as the immortal spirit body but this is essentially a spaceship for the soul. And it's a replica of your physical form made of chi that the soul inhabits. So when you die, you don't have to take on another body because your soul will still have a form. It's an energetic form that it already knows, that it already understands. And it can use this form to do exactly what I just said. Say no thank you to Bardo states. To say no thank you to incarnation. And it can use this body to ascend into higher planes. And that enables the soul to then become a part of what you might call the spiritual hierarchy, right? So these are those beings that I mentioned, right? These are different tiers, different levels of gods, goddesses, astrological forces, zodiacal forces that in many ways have a big impact on what happens in the physical universe. A soul that has uh, evolved past the wheel of samskara is able to assume a role in one of these levels and becomes an organizer of a certain portion of the universe. And the soul's education continues, right? This is sort of like getting a job somewhere, right? Maybe it's your first job. It's definitely not gonna be your last job. I don't know anyone whose first job and uh, their last job were the same thing. So for the soul, it's very similar to this. The soul begins to do workings here at whatever level it's ascended to. And then it graduates, it will go to even higher levels. In terms of the Kabbalistic tree of life, and I sort of have a Sumerian version of it here on my shirt, right? Because the, the Kabbalah tradition actually comes from the Sumerian tradition, right? It was inherited. It was passed down. All of the Sumerian gods became the angels. So anyway, that's a conversation maybe for a little bit down the road. But the point is for the soul to evolve to such an extent that it transcends the tree of life altogether, right? That it becomes fully liberated from this structure. And take a look again, what's outside of this structure? These beings, right? These are depictions, Sumerian depictions of these secret chiefs, these beings that are eternally blessing this tree. These are also beings that are capable of creating their own trees of life, in other words, creating their own universes. So once a soul's reached this point where it's outside of the physical universe, it has then graduated to the role of a creator god. So this soul, now a god, can create its own universe. And every universal creator God, right, is still going through an education, right, is still going through this type of learning experience. And this creator God is evolving into a multiversal creator God, right? So it keeps going. It is this infinite fractal. Now, there is what we would describe as, right, the unknowable one, right, the original source that all of these things have come from. Right. An insect comes from this. A plant comes from this. A planet comes from this. A creator God comes from this. A multiversal creator God comes from this. Right. So this is the dreaming mind. Right. This is the immortal one, the ultimate source that has given rise to each of these things. And this immortal source is having no experience at all on its own because it's just one thing it has nothing to compare itself to so this thing is incapable of experiencing anything at all because it is everything and nothing it is past present and future all at the same time if it's past present and future all at once it means it doesn't experience change so this is a changeless eternal unconditional source to create experience for itself, and I'm going to speak metaphorically here because I don't know what else to say, it dreams all of this. So right now we are still in the mind of God. We are dreaming and the nations. We are dream characters. All beings within the mind of God, within the mind of source, are dream characters. Therefore, no being is more significant than another being beings. We're all ephemeral. Sure, we can do different things with our bodies and our intelligence, depending on how you're born into this dream. But ultimately, a squirrel is no more significant than a human. A human is no more significant than a creator god. They're all ephemeral. They are all just transient. Some may seem immortal, but it's a relative immortality. For example, a creator god might exist for billions upon billions of years, but it will still have a beginning and an end, right? Just like a human does. So eventually, everything goes back into that mind of god. So the yogic path is a very interesting path because while they also teach this, that you can become a god, that you can make this energy body, that you can ascend into the spiritual hierarchy, there are many schools of yoga that talk about skipping all of that. And what they talk about is ascending directly into the source, becoming the source itself. Ultimately, these multiversal creator gods these universal creator gods are doing the same thing. They are working towards merging fully with the dreaming mind that has given rise to them. What happens when a being merges with the dreaming mind, the ultimate source, is a very mysterious thing. Again, we don't have a lot of words to easily talk about this. The way my guide Ryo has talked about this is in the following way. He says, once you merge with the source... You become a source yourself. But at that point, there's not really a you anymore. There's not really the personal you you experience yourself to be. You literally become every being and no being at once. This is a type of experience where you're giving rise to multiverses upon multiverses upon multiverses and all of the beings and realities and forms that exist within them. And at the same time, you're also none of those things. So, can you imagine that being everything around you and also being none of it at once? Being a changeless being that embodies every form, therefore, has no form. It's like, can we, can you even really stretch your mind to fully appreciate what that is? It's incredibly. High level, but this is also within the realm of possibility for every human being. Not everyone hits that in in one lifetime. I mean, that's why people keep coming back, you know. And some people might say that's not accurate. We don't actually reincarnate, it's a new soul each time. I mean, I don't know, prove it. (laughs) Prove it. You know, seriously, I'm not saying this is objective truth. These are just ideas, but, um, what I do want to say is this is what ETs, positive ETs, I'll say, are guiding us to do. They are guiding us to climb what has been called Jacob's Ladder, right? They are guiding us to ascend the tree of life. They are guiding us to become sources ourselves. Now, in order for a being to become a source, in order for a being to even start this process, right, of ascension or immortality, right, or just spiritual evolution, just to keep it simple, in order for that to even begin, that being needs to have conditions in its life that allow for it to succeed. So, for example, ETs, positive ETs, are never going to endorse, right, an oppressive regime or any type of thing that limits human freedom and human expansion, growth, and development in a positive way. So, I'm saying that for discernment purposes. If you hear an ET being giving information that's designed to limit someone's positive expression of freedom and positive self-expression, then really you're dealing with an entity that's attempting to limit what a person can do in terms of being themselves. Anything that's trying to do that is essentially what they might call in the Kabbalah, right? A clipothic force, not quite a demon. Think of like a super demon, right? (laughs) Or like an archon, right? In Gnosticism. Right, Anything that is trying to oppress, restrict, or limit positive human sovereignty or freedom is a force that's working, you could say, in a way that is contrary to that soul evolution, to that soul growth. Any being that is promoting true self-expression, flourishing, development, enlightenment, all of this, this is a being that's trying to help humanity climb up the ladder. ETs do have a duality. As I had said earlier, people have a duality. And we all know the saying, right? As above, so below, right? So below, as above, right? There are extra-dimensional beings that also don't want people to evolve. This is a thing. Now, it's not as if these things can, let's just say, actually stop a person once a person has learned how to overcome that influence. Right. Just as I had talked about, we look at the planets, the stars, the zodiac and the astrology wheel as a as a sort of influence on people. Right. But once you've overcome that influence, whether that be through meditation or self-empowerment or ceremonial magic or whatever, once you've overcome that force, now that force works for you. Now it will never be a force that's capable of oppressing you. So there are ETs. Right. Right. There are extra dimensionals that play that role of the challenger, right? That play that role of the obstacle that play that role of the tempter or the temptress, right? And they, you know, constantly hypnotize people right into deviating off of their path. I mean, look at most of the world. Most people are selling their souls for money, right? Doing things they don't want to be doing because they are a part of a system that has been influenced by this type of negative spiritual energy. So it creates a society, it creates conditions that aren't conducive for spiritual growth, right? But if people are able to overcome those forces through whatever those means are, which is really a matter of finding yourself and overcoming your own inner shadow, your own inner demons, and then getting them to work for you, then you can create your life magically. You can travel to places that will support you. You can acquire resources and friendships and connections that will nourish you. So these, um, you could say, negative expressions of, of uh, extradimensional consciousness are only valid um, as like a threat or an oppressor um, when they remain unconscious. But when these things are transformed, which occurs when a person transforms themselves, now those things cease to have any influence. So I'm just bringing up these sort of dimensions because there is a lot of channeled information. There are a lot of spiritual teachers, right? There are a lot of philosophies out there. What's important to look at ultimately, this is the main point, is what is truly pro sovereignty and what is attempting to limit human sovereignty. That's how you can tell which is going to be nourishing or at least supportive of your path of ascension, of your path of evolution, of your path of true embodiment. So these channeled messages that we get from ETs are designed, as I have said, to push us in that direction of self-mastery, of ascension, of curiosity, of soul growth and development. And these positive ETs, that's what we're calling them, right? It's just a convenient term because they're probably extra dimensional beings, right? They probably don't come from a planet, right? they I think there's something else altogether, but that's just the best way we have of talking about them. Um, These beings are ultimately us, right? And now I'll talk about this. This might sound strange, right? And I know we've, we've heard this before, you know, we are you from the future, right? This is a common uh, ET idea that's oftentimes used to describe uh, what these beings are. So it's my belief that, you know, everybody eventually completes this process, right? Eventually every being ascends past the tree of life completely and becomes one of these creator gods. This is something that will happen for every soul at a certain point, right? And when that happens for every soul in this universe, linearly speaking, that's when the next one opens up, right? It's sort of this endless process, right? Souls will always come in, and there will always be souls that ascend to become creator beings that then give rise to new universes, right, sort of like another level of a wheel. But uh, once you have reached that level, right, where you have become a creator god, or you're at least a part of the hierarchy of a universe, now you can communicate with your past selves, You can visit your past lives, your past selves as an ET, as an angel, as a multidimensional. You can travel to the dawn of human civilization and change it, creating alternate realities, right? So when I talked earlier about, you know, these techniques are gifts from ETs or EDs, whatever you want to call them. What I mean is these beings are essentially ascended souls, whether they ascended on earth or another world. You know, it's not necessarily the point. The idea is these are ascended souls who have learned how to create reality on a whole other level. And out of their um, beneficence, they have taken their methodologies, their skill sets, and they condensed them into a form that would be digestible for people. And then through being able to access different parallel realities of the past or future, they're able to travel across time, across space. And they give these things to people, thus altering the course of human destiny, thus altering their own existence. Because if you change your past, you will change how you experience your present. So, through giving these techniques and these tools to humans across time, you are ensuring that you, as a creator god, or at least as a god within the spiritual hierarchy, evolve much more quickly because you have changed your past, right? You have shifted what occurred for you right? You've created an alternate reality that you are now aligned with. That's why they're giving this to us, because not only does it help us to evolve more quickly, but it also helps them to evolve more quickly. So these ETs, for the most part, are us, right? These are beings that either have ascended on earth to that level or off of earth to that level. And now they're disseminating what they have experienced from those higher worlds to more physicalized being, so this whole process of evolution happens more quickly. So I hope you have enjoyed my talk. I had a lot of fun sharing all of this. This was really nice. Um, And what I will do now is I'll give another few minutes for questions, if anybody has questions, and then we'll actually go into a channeling where I'll bring Ryo through, and uh, we can interact with him
3: uh, until we have to call it.
0: Hey, I'm not seeing many questions, and I think you're on a really good roll. Let me see. Um, Let's see. Sovereign evolution, true self-expression, divine universal nature. This is from Devi. Um, uh, Someone says, Jesus spoke in parables, which is true. Uh, Sovereign soul power starting staring us right in the face. Sovereign soul power is staring us right in the face. Um, uh, thy embodied ordination for claiming soul growth, self mastery. Well said, Tyler. Yes, ditto.
3: That is Debbie from Debbie.
0: So, um, oh, wait, I'm looking at the QA here.
3: I'll jump in real quick, Tyler, brother. That was an incredible presentation. Thank you so much. You're very welcome yeah. Thank you. amazing man and uh, you just really brought it all together you know a lot of the ancient civilizations the deities and the gods all the way to the original source the original fragmentation from source you know and i especially appreciated the the paradoxical you know things that you were speaking about about how we're everything and we're nothing all at once because that's something I, I ponder quite often it's like the whole concept of we are we are solid beings, but we're also just pure energy, you know. The universe is infinite, but it's also finite. So and part of why I feel we haven't had we can we know that we're still on a way to evolve is the fact that we can't even fathom that paradox yet. You know what I'm saying? So do mm-hmm. you want can you speak a little bit more on that? And also you tied that into the roles that we're playing, like as if we're on like ultimately we're all one and then we come down here to play specific roles to give each other experiences. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I want to talk about in terms of helping people to experience the everything and nothing is through understanding um, the yin-yang, right? So we've all seen yin and yang as a symbol, right? It's sort of a, uh, a circle that's been sort of, uh, you know, wavy way divided in two, right? One part of the circle is black, one part of the circle is white. So if we were to take everything and nothing, well, which one is yin, which one's yang, Right. The black part would probably be the yin part, the nothingness, right? That emptiness. The white part is likely going to be that expression of light, which manifests as all perceivable things, right? So that's going to be the everythingness. Now, in terms of yin and yang, we can take that idea and apply it to the body. For example, outside of me, this is yang. Right, and in Chinese medicine, uh, which I also trained in, we talk about, right, the yang side of the body, right, this is the exterior of the body, right, so outer reality outside is yang, which corresponds with everythingness, inside of the body corresponds with yin, and yin also corresponds with nothingness. So to begin to bridge that understanding of what is it like to experience everything and nothing at the same time what can be really useful is to do meditations, and you can even do it right now, where you're just paying attention to the feeling of the inside of your body while you're experiencing this outer reality. In Gnosticism, they talk about this as, leave every part of your body full, have every part of your body filled. What they're talking about is filling the entire inside of your system with your awareness, your consciousness, your light. Because when you do that, when you embody yin all the way, that flips and becomes yang. So when you embody this inside of you, this nothingness, this emptiness, this inner reality, all the way, when you fill it with your attention, you will automatically become the opposite. You will become the everythingness. And you can maintain that awareness through holding the perception of the interior of the body as you're exploring and experiencing your life. And the more focused you become on this, the more psychedelic, I don't know what else to call it, I love that word, the more psychedelic your life gets, because you'll start to experience other people as an extension of you. And that's what's going to help you to learn your lessons more quickly. Because when you start to see everyone as you, you stop taking things as personally. And you say to yourself, okay, what am I trying to teach myself through this person? Because I'm them. I've summoned them. They've summoned me. We have some arrangement. What am I trying to teach myself here? What's the thing I need to learn? That answer might not come right away. And I don't recommend thinking about it too hard. I recommend ask that question. Stay present. When you have a chance, take a moment to reflect, see what comes. You'll get some answers. Right, So that's a way you can accelerate your evolution by merging inner and outer, and then as a side effect, seeing that outer as a reflection of the inner, seeing that outer person as another you. So that's a way you can technically start to um, open up the door to that experience.
3: Okay, great. Good question. Okay.
0: Why yeah. don't we go into channeling? Because we don't have that much time. And I definitely want people to experience Rio. Sure.
1: That sounds good. Should we do this like a Q&A? Like I'll bring him through. And then if people have questions, we can take could, the questions. You could
0: bring him through. But why don't you focus a little bit uh, on the subject here, Starseeds hybrids, and have him give an opening statement about that. Yeah. And okay. And then we'll um bring that all through. Okay? Perfect.
1: It sounds great. Okay, I'll, uh, Yeah, I'll get my tech turned off so we don't get any interruptions from uh the techno universe okay i'll see you at the end alan when we get to a quarter of just just let them know and we'll <laughs> and we'll shut it down okay
0: yeah great okay have a good one and i'm um, be good to see rio again Go yeah, for it.
3: absolutely i'm looking okay. forward to it too
0: It is our species' highest joy and
1: passion to be able to interact with all of you through this particular channel this day. We shall begin by playing off of some of the ideas the channel has mentioned, and we will tie that in with the overall theme of your panel and your conference that you have organized. So the thing to keep in mind is each and every single one of you are starseeds each and every single one of you are hybrids. Now, when we say you, we don't just mean those that are attending this conference. We mean every single being on your planet in some way is a hybrid. For, in the most basic way, we remind you that the genetic material that has evolved into the diverse forms of life that you have on Earth originally was extraterrestrial. The DNA landed on your planet through the idea of different impact events that happened over time all beings in that way are of dna all beings therefore are really one being dna dressed up as different forms of life now when dna travels in an interplanetary manner when the dna lands on a new world it takes on the qualities of that world it becomes organically hybridized. It blends with other species. It blends with other beings that it otherwise would not have made contact with had it not traveled in an interplanetary way. So all life on Earth is hybrid life because DNA in that sense did not necessarily originate on Earth. Earth has in its own way produced, you could say, its own genetic intelligences. But many other forms of genetic intelligence have come into contact with your planet since its inception. And this has created organic hybridization processes. Different types of minglings have taken place that were simply guided by what you might call more organic or natural currents of evolution. So, congratulations, you're all hybrids. Now we're going to get into the idea of how you are all star seeds. So, all of you exist right now in the mind of God, in the mind of source, simultaneously alongside of existing here in this body on this planet. Both are happening at the same time. Both are happening in a sense within the same space, within the same dimension. So we have what you might call dimension zero. We'll talk about it like this. Think of dimension zero as the mind of God. Within dimension zero, source, God, begins to create the idea of densification effects. These densification effects are differentiations, micro-differentiations, that it makes within its own energy. So it will augment different portions of its own vibratory state. It will modulate its own frequency to create the idea of densification effects. These densification effects that take place within the mind of Source manifest as different beings. You call these beings angelic beings. These are linearly the first beings that Source gave rise to. These angelic beings then began with their own energy to create densification effects that then gave rise to the idea of different matrices. What you might consider to be different universes, different multiverses, different environments, different reality landscapes. These reality landscapes then began to create densification effects within their energy, which began to manifest as forms that consciousness could use for incarnation. All of this is taking place within the mind of source. All of this is taking place within dimension zero. Each densification effect that is produced gives rise to the idea of the additional dimensions that exist. But each dimension exists within the mind of source, so you have never left. As your soul descends through these different dimensions, it has different qualities of experience. So we'll talk about it like this. In terms of your physical universe the dimension of the physical universe most proximal to source is the dimension of your universe that you call the stellar world the star realm you have your idea of star gates these are portals that souls will use to access your universe so every soul that has incarnated on earth human and non-human, has had to pass through a stargate. Therefore, across the board, every being on your planet is a star seed. Now, human souls are a little different than animal souls in that human souls will spend a great deal of time in the star world. The next level down is what you would consider to be the astral or mental levels of The planetary realms, the planetary world. So you have many planets within this galaxy, within this universe. Some of these planets are hospitable for life. Some of them, not so much. Nevertheless, all of these planets contain what you would call astral and mental dimensions. And souls will incarnate as mental beings, as astral beings within these dimensions. Human souls in particular, just like in the star realm, will spend a great deal of time in these mental and astral planetary spaces. Finally, these souls will then incarnate into a physical system like the one you have on Earth. Animal souls don't spend as much time on those higher levels. They pass through them, but then they rapidly incarnate into the idea of a corresponding animal body and this has to do with the level of animal consciousness it's not as aware as human consciousness therefore it's not able to access all of the possibilities that exist on that star level or that exist on that planetary level therefore it's time there is quicker it passes more rapidly where human souls will descend through each of these levels very gradually, taking their time, absorbing as much experience as possible. So, you are all hybrids, you are all star seeds. And that is a beautiful thing because as you become aware of this, you become more aware of your connection to the infinite and your connection to one another. Because when you awaken that star seed hybrid dimension of yourself, you then emanate that as a frequency your aura becomes coded with that understanding and with that energy when you then go into public when you spend time with people and you really choose to express yourself that energy begins to activate the aura and energy body of those around you and it helps them to remember their cosmic origin it helps them to remember that they are extraterrestrials in a terrestrial body, so to say. So as you all awaken to this more and more and more, your species collective higher self will begin to awaken. Your species collective higher self is energetically anchored within your sun. The soul of your sun's higher self
0: is the star that you call Sirius. So right now,
1: the beings of Sirius that we are closely aligned with are activating the higher self within your sun and your species through its evolution is also assisting in waking up the higher self within the sun. As you awaken your inner higher self, that outer higher self will also awaken. This is connected to some of the solar flare phenomenon that many of you are reporting. That is the higher self within the sun awakening as you all become more conscious. As that higher self awakens, you will begin to summon extraterrestrial beings, extra dimensional beings in a more physicalized way to your world as a side effect of that energy being present within the hearts and minds of each of you. Like attracts like, and the inside is the outside, The outside is the inside so as you make that shift within you will start to see changes without so in that sense you are all the ones whom are in control of the rate at which open contact with extra dimensionals and extraterrestrials occurs so we thank you for receiving our little message and now we make ourselves available to you in whatever way shape or form is of service for the remainder of the time that we have together.
0: Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence. Um, Hopefully you could stick around later for a group discussion, but basically some people are concerned uh, because there is a situation in developing the hybrid race here and discounting the human's own evolution. So are you still connected to the Esasani? Are you still Esasani? Because um, there's been a dispute about the intentions of the Esasani. Sure. I, can you well, we'll
1: talk about it like this. In terms of my consciousness, I express as what you would call an oversoul. So one of my oversoul expressions is a Esasani being. One of my soul expressions is the being you see before you. So there are many beings in that way I am connected to. I'm not necessarily limited to one. There are certain aspects of my incarnational pattern that I will draw upon that enables me to reveal certain information, but I'm not really bound to one specific race, to one specific entity. When the channel first began working with me, I was more so bound to a particular persona, bound to a particular personality but I have evolved past that. So I am now occupying a level of consciousness that would be described as an oversoul. So we can talk about the Sasani. We can talk about the idea of the agenda if you wish. So you can understand perhaps different perspectives on that matter. We're happy to do that with you.
0: Yeah, I'm interested. There's a, And we'll talk about this on the panel. There seems to be a resistance among people to go along with the agendas of hybridization. Uh, of- well, what are those agendas exactly? What are the agendas uh, of hybridization? The ones that I've understood is that there are people coming, that there's SSANI or people like that coming, abducting people, if you want to use a word, taking their genetics without their will or, or a conscious will and creating a hybrid race that is supposedly gonna replace or upgrade the human um, existence here. Now some people-
1: We'll we'll talk about this in a few ways. So the Sasani do not have a hybridization program. That's the first thing to keep in mind. They are the result of hybridization programs, but they are not in any way beholden to any type of hybridization agenda. That's not their role. They're the result of an agenda, but they are in no ways enforcing any hybridization agenda or even necessarily promoting a hybridization agenda. Now, we'll talk about that in a more nuanced manner. The greys are the ones who are in possession of different hybridization agendas. It's important to keep in mind that the greys are made up of different factions because the grey civilization went through what we would describe as a slow decline. Slowly, their ecosystems and their society began to collapse. It wasn't all at once. It was gradual. Certain members of the great civilization saw what was happening and left and began hybridization programs because they realized their world would be destroyed. There were other greys that were sort of in denial of this process and stuck around to the very end. And then with their backs against a wall, they began their own hybridization program. And there were factions that emerged in between these two points on the timeline as well. So there are multiple hybridization programs that are taking place, run by different factions of the Greys. The Greys who waited till the very end, who had their backs against the wall, these are Greys whom, let's just say, carried out the hybridization agenda in a more negative way, in a cold way in a way that you might even consider to be manipulative. In a way that was hurtful to some people. There are grays whom operate in that manner. That's why many people on your planet will interact with grays. And it can be traumatic. It can be scary. It leaves them with an unpleasant taste. So that exists. That's a genuine phenomenon. There are other gray factions that exist that are not like this. Where things are incredibly consensual where things are not carried out in a hurtful way, in a cold way, in a traumatic way. These are the groups that left the declining civilization early on. So but- there are different hybridization programs happening all at once. Now, because of your species frequency rising, it's becoming incredibly challenging for what you call negative grays to even interface with your version of Earth. Earlier in your timeline, that was possible because your species level of consciousness was not as high but now you're becoming incompatible with those beings. So there's less and less of them interacting with the versions of earth that you experience.
0: Does that make sense so far? Yes, of course, but th- talk right. about what's happening now as, as some people say, a new hybrid race. Well, is sure, there will be a new hybrid race. race to earth. Yes, go ahead. Yes,
1: there will be a new hybrid race that is created, but it will not necessarily replace people. Just as you have different ethnic groups on your planet, it's not as if different ethnic groups are releasing other ethnic groups, are they?
0: Um, not all the time, yes. <laughs> no yes. Of
1: so it will be like this. You're going to have hybrid species that will live amongst you if you choose to have open contact, of course, because it's always a choice. We're not pushing that on you. Should you choose open contact, hybrids will begin to live amongst you. Some of them will be very physicalized, capable of reproducing with your species. Sometimes there's chemistry between beings, beings fall in love, and hybrid species can be born like that. Will that be every person on your planet? No. Will that be some? Sure, yes. Because that resonates with desires that many of you have, and it resonates with desires that some of these hybrids have. Seeking love, seeking connection. But that won't be across the board the case for everyone. But yes Mm -hmm. it will introduce new materials and new beings into the gene pool and it will grow those gene pools and it will grow those species yours and the hybrids in a way that allows you to become closer together but it's not as if that's going to replace people okay it's not as if everyone's going to blend with hybrids because remember hybrids just like all of you are oftentimes selective especially when it comes to giving rise to a child It's very important to make sure the person you're with is compatible. It's very important to make sure that this is really what you want. For many people on your planet, that might not be what you want. For many hybrids, it may not be what they want. So it's going to be similar to the processes that you have on Earth. So no, it's not going to replace people.
0: No, okay. Thank you for that. I also and other people can raise their hands and uh, jump in as well but I also want to talk about timelines in a sense where you're talking to us from a future a sure. future a future based on timelines that exist in our present so it's a little hard to fr- uh, frame this both so if you're t- you're talking to us from the particular end result which is not the end of a timeline chosen, but if we went on another path, you would not be talking to us. Is that, is that true?
1: Not necessarily, because we are not bound to any particular timeline. So in terms of our species ascension process, we're essentially becoming what you would consider to be oversoul like in nature, so we can perceive multiple timelines simultaneously. And we're able to travel freely between them, and we can commune with different beings on those timelines easily, even if we are from a completely different one. So even if your species were to choose a timeline, well, let's just say, for whatever reason, open contact doesn't happen. ETs don't visit Earth. We could still interact with you. It would have no impact on our existence in any way because we are not necessarily from your timeline. We're from an alternate timeline. So Mm -hmm. what happens on yours is not necessarily limited to yours, but it's not so ultimate that it would in any way erase or guarantee our existence. That is something that exists independently.
0: Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it does make sense. Thanks for asking. Uh, So is there an ultimate, there's something in human potential movement called your highest potential. And there might be, I would think, a highest potential for human beings to evolve to their greatest possible awakening through a particular timeline choice. Uh, Or is there not that hierarchy of timelines as you see it? Well, the
1: idea is that each choice contains within a different possibility. So if you continuously maximize the highest potential of each choice that you make, you will find that you're on the highest timeline possible for yourself. But for many of you, because you are playing with polarity, you're not always able to consistently access the highest level of every choice that you make. Mm. Sometimes you may make a choice and perhaps you get depressed about it. Sometimes Mm. you make a choice and you go into regret. Oh, why did I make that choice? So on and so forth. But sometimes you're able to really ride that wave and you're able to maximize the idea of each and every single choice that you make. So in general, people on your world will choose things that on a certain level, they know have the potential to serve them. Mm. That choice inherently is a neutral thing. Mm -hmm. No matter if it looks positive or negative, it's neutral. You're just gravitating towards what you're attracted to in the moment. You might be attracted for negative reasons. You might be attracted for positive reasons, but really you're just following an attraction. Once you have made that choice, once you have committed to experiencing that particular reality, now you are in control as to whether or not that choice is going to have a positive or negative impact. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you will gravitate to certain things and you utilize those things you gravitate towards in a positive way, in an uplifting way. And this gives rise to more, what you might call positive times. Mm -hmm. If you're exploring things, but you're not really validating them, you're sort of condemning them, you're using them in a negative way, and you're doing that repeatedly, you might call that a negative timeline. So there's not really a hierarchy here. It's more like a blending of positive and negative that can be utilized in a manner that is strategic, that allows for you to create your own custom timeline. The timelines are not necessarily fixed things. They are created in the moment by your decision-making and your response to the decisions you have made. Does that make sense?
0: Right. It, that makes sense. Thanks for asking oh, okay. that. Um, but I'm interested in connecting what you just said there with the talk Tyler said about creating magic and intention and yeah. also how sometimes an intention might be outside the comfort zone of the individual, but is needed for the push. So instead of just choosing things that may appear in our highest excitement, sometimes it's a little internal process that we need to go through. So ways of understanding and deciding that um, might be helpful to hear if you know what I mean. Sure, well, we would
1: describe it like this. It's really about discernment in relationship to the choices that you make. For example, when we say follow your highest excitement, many people misinterpret this and they say, oh, follow pleasure. That's not what we're saying. Pleasure is a side effect of your excitement, yes. But really, pleasure is something that is dependent upon what's happening in the physical reality. Pleasure is a type of physical sensation that you're having. Sometimes pleasurable things are absolutely connected to your passion, to your joy. But sometimes your passion and your joy may cause you to do something that is incredibly uncomfortable, such as, let's say, getting into shape, going to the gym, That might not feel pleasurable when you first start. That might feel hellish. Yet, that (laughs) may be the thing that's actually most exciting for you because of what it leads to down the road. For example, it may be more exciting for someone to have an aesthetically pleasing and healthy body. If that's more exciting for that person than having, let's just say, a body that is unhealthy, then doing the things that engender that healthy, aesthetically pleasing body would be that person's highest joy. Might not be their highest joy at every moment, but that will be the thing that really nourishes them. Now, those micro choices that give rise to that might be very uncomfortable, might be very challenging. They don't have to pry themselves off of a couch, but still those are the choices, the micro choices that are in alignment with that theme of highest passion, that theme of preferred
0: expression great no I get that and I've heard that uh, so um so just to wrap up I'm interested in sure. what you see from your perspective is coming to the earth if we because I do believe there is a higher timeline this is just my belief and a timeline that perpetuates the same old same old but I think there is sure. a potential here for humans to be a different greater, species and how to choose that and what will come of that from the cosmic perspective of a galactic community as you see it
1: yes the thing to shift is human thinking ultimately it's how you are looking at things because for many of you the same old narratives, the same old biases, the same old cyclical processes will oftentimes play out within your minds again and again and again, but you do not have the awareness to recognize the nature of that unconscious cycle. So many of you remain in cycles ignorant to that fact, and you will stay in cycles, even though the props of those cycles may change form, may look different, You're none the wiser. And this is what keeps people in the same old loop doing the same old thing. But if a person is choosing to evolve themselves in whatever way, shape, or form that looks for each of you, you will raise your consciousness. You will raise your frequency. You will expand your awareness field. So you'll be able to see those unconscious patterns and you can choose to step outside of them. So as people begin to really change the way they're looking at things, as they begin to change the way they're thinking, they will be able to ensure that they don't just pick the same old destructive patterns again and again. And again, they'll have the clarity and the awareness to step outside of those patterns. Now, what causes a change in thinking? Many things can, but in general, what causes a change in thinking is an experience that sort of shakes a person. Now, that's not always a negative thing. For example, when we say something shakes a person, think of when you're a child and your friend scares you and you jump. It sort of takes you out of what you were doing. It wakes you up for a second. Experiences like this are, generally speaking, experiences that will get people to change their way of thinking. Now, it doesn't have to be a fear-based thing. For example, falling in love can do that. Having a child. Can do that. Traveling to your favorite place can do that. Following your passion, doing the things you love can produce that. These are things that sort of shake up your frequency and wake you up to the life that you are actively creating so you can become more conscious. And that ensures that you don't have to unconsciously repeat the same old cycles. So in general, we would advise that if people want to really change their thinking they have to change what they focus on. If you are focusing on, let's just say, the outer reality consistently, watching TV, listening to music, getting on the internet, talking to friends, talking to family, always being external, there will be an entire infinite inner reality that a person always misses. The external reality has limitations. The inner reality does not The inner reality, that inner space is like a portal that new perspectives, new ideas, and new energies use to reach you. So spending time each day, withdrawing from the outer reality, going within, and allowing for your heart to open so that portal can open will ensure that new ways of thinking, new ideas, and new perspectives can reach you. And if people begin to do that, if you begin to connect more to your inner space, you will step out of those old paradigms, you'll step out of those old cycles. That's the most basic way we can talk
0: about it. No, I love that. I just have one question that just came up in in the chat is from an anonymous. Is there a timeline where the hybrids already coexist with humans on earth? It was put as something in the future tense, but is the channel only talking about the mass of humanity because hybrids already seem to be here? From yes, the... we, yes, are yeah. already here and we have already been coexisting with you mm-hmm. so
1: that timeline you're sort of already on it now you can get off of that you just have to become vibrationally incompatible with the idea of hybrid energies now for many of you hybrid energies represent a positive thing and they complement your positive energy states so we end up showing up on many versions of Earth that ascend because we're also ascending and we're assisting you and you're assisting us in doing that in a way that is free from there being any hidden agendas or strings attached to it. It's out of benevolence, ultimately. So what we would say is that timeline already exists. You're already experiencing it. Yet we are not necessarily bound to, let's just say, that timeline you are not necessarily bound to that timeline. This just happens to be the timeline that we are collectively co-creating together
0: at this moment. That's what's allowing for this conversation to even be possible. Right. And it could all change if our frequency, let's say drop, but it could also accelerate based on the collective because it seems like the ascension is what people who want to wake up, who want to have a better time here, more joyful time here isn't our intending wouldn't you say yes well it's all right to intend these
1: things yes it's all right to have the intention for more positive earth for more positive reality but it ultimately is about what you do with that intention that's what's needed the doing the application of the intention what do you mean doing with that i mean For example, many people have the intention of, let's just say, living in a clean home,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: but they haven't cleaned their home in perhaps 10 years. It's all about what you do with the intention. The intention must be applied through action in some way, shape, or form. If your species takes this positive intention that you all have and actually actualizes it, births it through action, you will experience wonderful things. You'll experience many portals opening within the hearts of each and every one of you that will allow for you to understand new ways of relating to one another that will enable you to break through in terms of scientific discovery, metaphysical discovery, esoteric discovery. You'll be able to break through in a way that ultimately allows for your species to dissolve the boundaries that separate the different, you could say, levels of reality. In other words, your astral level, your astral world, will become, in a sense, a little more physically accessible to you. Same thing with what you call your mental world or the mental plane. Same thing with the spirit world or the spirit plane. As you ascend in that way, there's less of a veil separating these dimensions. So
0: So, so what are the actions we need to take to clean up our room besides picking up the clothes and doing the dishes? But what are the actions we need to take? It's going to be different for each of you,
1: but what we would say in general is follow your true path, follow your theme. So we've talked about this before, but we'll summarize yeah. it here briefly. You are all born with a specific purpose, but you're not limited in just one. For example, a tree has many purposes. It produces oxygen. It acts as a home. It fertilizes soils. Trees do all types of wonderful things. They have many purposes but they're not limited to just one of them. All the purposes work together that ensure the growth of the tree and the survival of a particular ecosystem and environment. Humans are like this. To find out what your unique purposes are, look at the archetypal energies you're most connected to. When we say archetype, we're referring to the idea of the certain character themes that you have in your stories. For example, when you were a child, you might open a book and say, oh, look, I'm really drawn to this hero or I'm really drawn to the magician, or I'm really drawn to this fairy, or I am really drawn to the warrior, or I'm really drawn to this queen or king archetype. You might find one character theme you deeply identify with. That archetype, that theme is connected to your path. In other words, let's say, you are really attracted to the healer. This is a very popular one. If you find you're connected to that healer archetype and healer energy, The idea will be, well, how does a healer clean their room? How does a healer prepare their food? How does a healer treat other people? What kind of places does a healer go to? What types of rituals does a healer do? You might also find you identify with the artist archetype. All right, well, how does an artist clean their room? How does an artist decorate their space? How does an artist dress? How does an artist think? That's not something that is fixed. That's something you create through a living experience. Right. So, and it, as you give yeah. yourself to these things, you'll find your path opens up for you. Your path is connected to your destiny, it is connected to your what you might call accelerated evolution.
0: One disagreement is that a lot of people are not looking for archetypes. They're becoming themselves where the archetypes emerge. Would you agree with that? Well, what we would
1: say is it's really the same thing. Okay, It's just one way of looking at it. Oh, I found myself and I automatically stepped into these archetypes. Excellent. Oh, I followed the archetypes and I found myself. They both lead to the same thing. So it's all about different, you could say, ways of relating to the concept because you might tell someone be yourself but they might say how do I do that I don't even like myself there's a lot of people on your planet like that well Mm -hmm. encourage them to follow the paths that they love and they say well I don't know what I love and you might say to them well what types of characters are you attracted to in your stories and then they'll say oh well I always loved Abra Malin the mage or something like this and then you encourage them, well, why don't you do some of the things that that being did? Try that on, see what happens. And they may find that they find themselves in the activity. So both ways of looking at it are useful, different Mm -hmm. strokes for different folks, as you may say.
0: Right. Well, thank you for your time, for being here. And um, hopefully you might be able to show up on the panel later if you're not doing anything in another dimension right now. Well, we are always available for commuting when the channel is
1: available for the commuting. So perhaps take that up with him, but yes, if he summons himself,
0: we will also join. We'd yeah, be happy to. Thank you, you. Sheila, did you have anything?
2: No, I just wanted to uh, thank Tyler and, um, you know, just let him know how much I appreciate serving as this channel and uh, the channel itself for coming through and providing this phenomenal information to us. We are very, very grateful.
1: And we are grateful to all of you. And we thank you for this wonderful co-creative sharing. We have all experienced this day together our unconditional love
0: to each of you. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Beautiful. Okay, let's just say hello to Tyler when he comes back. Um, Have you seen Rio before? Oh, there he is.
2: No, no, not live. Nope.
0: Okay, there he is. Hello. Hello. Did you wow. remember you remember any of that? A sure,
1: bit? sure. Yeah, I did. I um it's it's dreamy. So when I'm it's like when you're watching a daydream, like you're seeing yourself, I guess, in the dream world. That's how I experience the conversation. When I come out, a lot of it's fresh, but like very quickly I start to forget what happens. So it will have that sort of ephemeral quality to it
0: right um can you get tell people how to find you i know you do private sure. sessions and everything like that yeah
1: yeah i'll post uh the link right in our chat real quick actually um so it's the galacticguide.com and uh, www.thegalacticguide.com how you type it in might matter so i'll just put it in this chat here mm-hmm. okay so On this website, uh, theblacktickguide.com, you can stay up to date with things we're doing. You can book sessions with me if you want private sessions. I teach ceremonial magic. I teach Taoist magic and alchemy. I also do one-on-one channelings. I teach people how to channel. We have so much going on there. So you can book those sessions on this website. You can also purchase tickets for our monthly live streams because once a month I will bring Ryo through and he delivers a full transmission. And during that time, you get to ask him questions. Um we actually have one coming up in a few days um on the galactic lineage. He's going to be talking about founder beings um and Ooh. all these types of things. And um yeah, you can find me on YouTube, health thyself, and I'm also on Patreon where we uh teach magic and uh give private ryo sessions just like you saw today for people. So lots of places to find me.
0: Can you come back for the panel at? Um, that would be
1: nine p.m. Eastern. Yeah, I should be able to make it. I had such a fun time being here. I would love to return for another get together and exploration of these ideas. That'd be fine. Okay, so, great,
0: great. Yes, yeah, great. So we'll be there. Yeah, Beautiful. I appreciate you know you and the connection. And I'm glad you're evolving like everyone else. And, um...
1: yeah thank you thank you me too great to great to be here alan always a pleasure to see you i was i was really looking forward to this and uh it's a really
3: good time and my